So why didn't John Paul II ever really say very much about the masculine genius? He talked a lot about the feminine genius. Why not? He didn't, he didn't like men? <laughs> why did he focus so much on the feminine genius? Because of feminism, right? He was dialoguing with feminism, the feminist movement, the women's movement. And there was no men's movement. Now we have a lot of movement, men's movements today. But he wasn't talking, um, it didn't exist during his time. But we can glean a lot from love and responsibility, theology of the body, a lot of his other writings, also his rather large encyclical on St. Joseph, guardian of the Redeemer. So he talks a lot about men in there as well. So it, what's really interesting is that there are women today doing the masculine genius. There's a lot, Dr. Deborah Savage is one in Minnesota. And I think it's just really cool that a man, John Paul II, uh, talked about the feminine genius, and now women are doing the masculine genius, kind of filling in. Kind of makes sense, though, because you can be a little more objective when you're a little bit removed from the situation, right? Seeing it with, with other eyes. If you would like the handouts and lots of other like amazing theology of, of the body goodies, just text your email to this number, 617-850-5584. 617-850-5584. Only text your email address. Do not text your phone number, because once you text me, I have your phone number. Your email address with a little at sign. Do not say thank you. Do not say, hi, sister, I met you at St. Casimir. Don't say, please send the, I know who you are and what you want. Just your email address. No other words. Nothing. Okay? I'll put this up again at the end if you don't have your phone with you and you want to write it down. So I thought, you know, I do a lot of talks to all ages. Anybody who will listen, I will talk to about theology of the body. I go out and talk to squirrels when human beings don't want to listen. Um, so I was speaking with a lot of young adults recently and teens, and as um, Deanna mentioned, there is so much confusion today, right? People are so confused not just about gender, but about what does it mean to be a human being, about the nature of reality. There is profound confusion and skepticism about the very nature of reality. So in a, in a perfect world, I would start with the human person. I would start with sexuality, gender. We would do some femininity and masculinity together, but we don't have that kind of time. But what I do want to do is I'm realizing that the young people, you know, our young people are, let's not blame them, okay? The poor millennials. Where's, the, where's my millennials? If you are 18 or under, you're not a millennial. You're Gen Z, okay? If you're 18, between 18 and 35, you're a millennial, okay? The most analyzed generation ever, right? And ber sadly berated, right? It's like nobody is, creates the culture they're born into, right? The adults before, it's, we feel like we did, but we didn't. It's the adults before us who created that culture. So it's like, we, the adults, created this culture, you guys followed it, and then we blame you for everything. <laughs> so our young people, and Gen Z included, are good, and they're smart, but we've dropped the ball. It's our fault. We haven't helped them. We haven't taught them. There's a youth synod going on right now, as you know, in Rome until October 28. 
And the young people, when they did the preliminary work, and they were talking about their peers and sometimes themselves, they said there was four church teachings they struggled with. Guess what? They're all about sex and sexuality and theology of the body, right? I know you know what they are, right? They want women priesthood. They want to be able to use contraception, same-sex marriage, and being able to live together before marriage. And God bless these young people. They said, you know what? We don't understand why the church teaches, what the church teaches on these things, because nobody ever taught us. Maybe they went to 12 years of Catholic schools, never heard about Humanae Vitae, never learned theology of the body. We know this, right? We know this. So anyway, I'm done. I'm done with not talking about theology of the body everywhere, even more than I already do, because it's so helpful. But what we have to do is, even though our young people have residual faith, and they're like, well, yeah, the Bible's an authority of a sort, and yeah, we do want to know what sister and father think, and yeah, we're, we are going to kind of turn to the church, but they need something even deeper. They need, because of the not understanding the nature of reality. So the Bible is just a religion. It's just one opinion among many, right? It's like, no, actually, actually, this is God. God speaking to us. So, so one thing we can go back to um, is, is the deepest foundations. And some of them are not even theological. They're philosophical. We need to be teaching philosophy again, in, at least by high school. I think kids could do it in middle school, too. Um, why? So they can learn logic, critical thinking skills, and how to reason. Thinking comes naturally, reasoning doesn't. We have to be taught how to spot a false argument, how to build um, when, when we're in having a debate or a conversation. Once you establish something to be true, you then move on and build on that, etc. So our worldview is, and this has everything to do with gender, sexuality, masculinity, femininity. There are two basic worldviews. One receives the world, believes that there's already meaning there. There's already a divine order because of God. But even if you, didn't, you were a little shaky on God, you might say, but I believe a creator maybe put this together and I can see there's design, so there must be purpose and meaning there already. And it's for me to discover what that is. It's for me to try to just go deeper all the time and understand it. The other worldview imposes on the world. So the world is just a blank slate, it has no meaning, and I come along, <laughs> you know, like I made the world myself, and I start imposing my own will, my own meaning, my own ideas on it. Now, I might believe in God on this second imposed worldview, but I don't know exactly where he fits in because I'm the one who's saying what value things have and what value people have or don't have. Does that make sense? In the first worldview, God is worked right into that worldview intrinsically. All right? And which worldview would you think is theology of the body? The first one, because it starts with the physical, material world. 
which is way more objective, way more verifiable than starting with my own ideas, my own thoughts, whatever pops into my head, my opinions, what I think is good, which is legitimate. I mean, I'm entitled to that, but where, where did I get those ideas? Where did they come from? Can anybody else legitimize those, right? So let's remember that. If we're talking about masculinity, yes, we are getting our ideas about masculinity from someplace, right? We're not just making them up. I don't even like the word Catholicism. It's an ism, like communism, <laughs> and all, the, all the isms, right? Skepticism, atheism, you know. Um, I, I think I'm done with that word, Catholicism. How about the Catholic Church that Jesus Christ founded? How about that? I'm just going to talk about the Catholic Church from now on. Okay. And here are our three sources of revelation. So our faith is a revealed faith. We have what's called the deposit of faith that does not change with the changing times. And our faith is really more of a matter of being faithful to something than trying to change it all the time. Yes, we have to, the way we apply it to every age is going to change. We have to find new ways of expressing ancient truths. But the truths itself don't change. And we're ultimately being faithful to someone, not to something, right? So I was in Calgary. Ah, we've got to get to the masculine genius, but don't worry. It's coming in a podcast. I'll do three parts if I have to. Okay. <laughs> I'm in Calgary, and this 12-year-old boy, Adrian, is coming to my talks. He come with his dad. Really wasn't for 12-year-olds, but he insisted. Smart kid. And he learned what ideology meant, because we were talking about gender ideology. And he was really concerned because his friend is identifying as trans. His best friend, a boy, 12 years old, says he's a girl. And he was really struggling with that. And Adrian, all on his own, he just felt that was really wrong. And he was going to cut his friend off. And I was telling him no. Like, he couldn't understand that you can still love your friend even if you don't agree with what they're doing or you don't think this is in their best interest, etc., etc., or their explanations for what they're doing. And he got that, finally, that he could still love his friend. And I said, your friend needs you now more than ever. Don't, don't abandon your friend. So he comes, he comes up to me at our book table. I was there for a weekend. And he said, but isn't what the church teaches just ideology? <laughs> and I said, no, Adrian. I said, it's God. And he got this big smile on his face because he had a lot of faith. And I said, see, Adrian, what people try to do is say, oh, that's just the Bible. That's just the Catholic Church. And I said, but who gave us the Bible? Who gave us the Catholic Church? This is how God speaks to us. He speaks individually and through nature and the real presence in the Blessed Sacrament. But these are the main channels that he has given to everyone. Again, very verifiable. We can all read the, the scriptures together. We can all know what church teaching is together. Very objective, very verifiable, doesn't change through the ages, and applies to everyone in all times. So there's a lot more we could say about this chart, but I just want to show that we have to go to the basics first and tell people where we're getting all this stuff, right? That is, it isn't my opinion, right? 
it isn't just my opinion. Actually, sometimes it can be really hard to conform ourselves to these things, right? We all have to conform to the divine order, and it's not easy. But when we do, how many people have experienced that God's ways are golden? They are so good for us. They pay off in the long run. They can be hard at first, or sometimes they continue to be challenging all of our lives. But they're so good for us. Okay. And I actually have a chart that shows that in the back. It's a chart that says that God, creation, the Bible, the church, and science are all saying the same thing. What? Yeah, because God made creation, right? Um, He gave us the church and the Bible, right? And all science does is tell us how amazing everything is that he made up, that he made. And we now have a cheat. So like 10, 20 years ago, we didn't have the science backing up everything God ever told us is either good for us or bad for us. Physically, mentally, spiritually, uh, our health, our relationships, So now we have this cheat. God tells us to do something. The Bible, the church tells us to do something. We can go like, what does science say? Oh, God's right. (laughs) This really is bad for me. This really is good for me, right? But we should do it anyway just because God said so, right? But now we have a cheat. We're so blessed. People in past ages did not have the cheats that we have today. Okay. So, Here's another simpler way to say all that. (laughs) It is what it is. Okay? It's a philosophically sound, right? Something is what it is and not something else. A podium is not a chair. A chair is not a podium. A podium is what it is. It's designed to do what a podium does, right? So if you're going to get a tattoo, just kidding. (laughs) So... Just keep, keep harping on these things. Go back to these things. Okay. So it's the sexual revolution that is unscientific. It is not saying what God, creation, the Bible, church, and science is saying. It's out in left field. Sorry, left-handed people. Uh, doing its own thing. D- teaching things, pushing lifestyles that we know are bad for us, bad for our health, mental health, spiritual health, everything, relationships, and we keep doing it. Why? Because it feels good. It seems good. It's easy, right? Okay. So the sexual revolution turned men and women against each other. The sexual revolution turned men and women against each other. Why? Because it was all about selfishness. And selfishness does that, right? It turns people against each other. It promises some easy way of doing things, some easy life, but in the end, it makes us very unhappy and turns us against each other. So you can't believe in gender ideology and science at the same time. Pick one. Pick one, okay? Gender ideology is unscientific. And we have gone all spiritual. So we say, well, the physical world is just raw material. It's over here. It has no meaning. And it's really not connected to God either. Even if I believe in a creator, 
it's still really not connected to God. It's just raw material for me to do with what I want. And everything over here, spiritual, is what's real. This is what's real. My thoughts, my feelings, my, um, my ideas, ideologies, that's what's real. And I'm going to use that to impose on this. But our faith, does our faith involve the physical world? Does the Catholic faith involve the physical world? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you know that we have dogmas about the physical world, about our bodies? We have dogmas about the human body. Our faith is not just all spiritual. Ooh, spiritual, spiritual. As long as I do some spiritual stuff, I'm good. No. No, 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 no. We are human beings, body and soul, freaks of the universe. Human beings unite matter and spirit like no other creature. And so what we're doing spiritually is all about what we're doing physically as well. Okay. So we can't talk about anything or think about anything without God. It's all connected to God. It didn't just come from God. God is in it. God is sustaining us through his love. God created out of love and sustains everything in existence out of love. If God stopped thinking about us for a second, poof, we would cease to exist. If he stopped loving us for a nanosecond, poof, we would cease to exist. And God is the ultimate fulfillment of this physical world. Amen? There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. It's not going away. Okay, another thing you need to know before we get started on the masculine genius is a few basics from TOB if you don't know them. Just a few boom, boom, boom bullet points. I'm going to be teaching a 30-hour Theology of the Body Basics course starting in January at our place in North York, Pauline Books and Media. It's also going to be available online. You can do it for a certificate or audit. You get the certificate through Sacred Heart College in Peterborough. So you'll be, again, you'll get more information about that if you sign up for my email. So many incentives. So many incentives. Okay. So here are some Theology of the Body Basics you absolutely need to know. Do we have bodies? Is it, more, is it correct to say I have a body or I am a body? I have a body or I am a body? How many say I have is the correct way to say it? How many say I am is the correct way to say it? It's I am. Okay, if you say I have a body, then it's not you. It's something, this extra thing that the real self, which is the soul, the spiritual part of me, has that I can do whatever I want with. Who cares? It's just a thing. And then I've split myself in two. Who is this other person, entity, that has this other thing called a body? Nope, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. Your body is part of you. It's you. Bodies are us. It's part of your self-definition. Uh, it has a lot to say. John Paul II called it the language of the body speaking to you. So guys, you are your bodies. The men in this room, you are your body, and that's why it's so important. And that's why it's sacred, because you're sacred. The whole you, body and soul, is sacred. How many genders are there? Two. There are two different ways to be, not have, a body. Are all the bodies in this room identical? No. There's men, male bodies, and female bodies. 
and male souls and female souls because the body expresses the soul. We can't see the soul, right? But we can see its expression through the body. So if our bodies are so different, 1,500 genetic differences, basic genetic differences between men and women, for starters, then our souls are different. Okay? So, so um, a way to say it is that the body is the sacrament of the soul. Because it does what a sacrament does. The body does what a sacrament does, which is make the invisible visible. Make the spiritual available physically. Okay, there are two genders only. Because sex and gender used to mean the same thing. But now they've taken on a life of their own, and we're told that physical, sexual is physical, it's what you're assigned at birth. And... Gender is, is what you really are and what you feel you are and it can keep changing and it has nothing to do with the body. So gender has taken on a life of its own just in the past two decades, right? So I tell young, the younger kids, I say, you know, all this stuff has just changed. So you grew up in a world where the dictionary said X, Y, and Z. The laws have changed. The media, entertainment, news, education, schools are all saying the same thing. But it just changed <laughs> in the last, like, 20 years. It was never, ever, ever that way before. So were we wrong all along? And, and this new stuff is right? Or what? Okay. So it depends. If that is your point of reference, if those are all your points of reference, education, news, media, entertainment, celebrities, etc., then you're going to go that way, right? But if your points of reference are science, God, creation, the Bible, and the church, then you're going to have a different take on reality, basically, right? Okay. So why there's only two genders? Science only finds two human genders. Even though science is now being reinterpreted, who knows what I'm talking about? Okay, so science itself is developing, or certain people within the scientific field, or certain people who have entered the scientific field with this agenda, with this purpose, are now reinterpreting science. So it will match gender ideology and go all spiritual and stop doing the one thing that science does, which is examine what? The physical world. That's all science does. Science doesn't do anything spiritual. The physical world. So we have gone all spiritual. Religious people trip out on the spiritual all the time. Not just Catholics, but tripping out. And now science is moving from its one field to tripping out on the spiritual. And the Catholic Church, far from being some old-fashioned, outdated, can't-get-with-the-program, draconic institution, may be the only institution left in the world that takes the human body seriously as a revelation of God and having meaning. And we haven't even gotten to masculinity yet. Oh, man. Okay. <clears throat> so there's only two genders because the very word gender is the same root as genitals, genealogy, generation, generate. How many ways are there to be a parent as a human being? How can you be a parent as a human being? Only two ways, either as a father or a mother. So if you have a male body, you are a man. You have a male soul. If you have a female body, 
That's your first clue, right? You have a female soul. Now, what if something's, what if you're do, going through something like gender dysphoria, where you feel like they don't match? That's a real thing, right? Gender dysphoria. What if you were born intersex? What if you have same-sex attraction? What if you feel like you're non-binary? That's the newest thing, right? I'm non-binary, I'm agender, gender non-conforming. I'm both, I call myself they, right? So what about those things? Are those people excluded from what the Word of God says, male and female, he created them? No, because that's the Word of God. And would God ever exclude any of his beloved children? No. So whatever somebody might be experiencing, maybe here in the room somebody's experiencing, is a theme, it's a variation on a theme of male or female, because there's nothing else. Does that make sense? So everybody's included. Nobody is excluded. Okay. It is what it is. Are we getting our bodies back at the resurrection of the body? Christians, woo! Yes! We should just like be screaming that out. These very bodies or something new off the rack? Are we getting like a new body off the rack? Or this very body is coming back. Yes, folks, get comfy. Your, your soul and body going to be together for a long, long time because it is you. It you. It you. It nobody else, and it coming back. Okay? Will you be male or female in eternity? Yes, because it's you. All right. Anything we might have, whether it's that gender dysphoria, intersex, whether it's uh, arthritis, uh, depression, whatever we have, is that going to be healed in eternity? Yes. It's called the healing of eternity. Right? Okay, so a lot to look forward to. So one thing you need to know about me is I am a former radical feminist. Woo! Giving an appreciative, admiring, complimentary talk on masculinity tonight. <laughs> Woo! All right, so you can um, get my, my testimony at tinyurl.com forward slash TOB SoundCloud. So that's where I have all my uh, TOB stuff, and I'll be putting this masculine talk up there too. So people can change. People can change a lot, right? When we know the truth, when somebody helps us. And it was a long journey. I had to untangle a lot of my my ideas, you know? Um, But it was theology of the body, this man over here that straightened me out. But it was a long, long journey. I call it my ongoing theology of the body conversion. So if there's something wrong with the world, don't crab. It's the church's fault. Something wrong in society, it's always the church's fault. Why? Because we have the fullness of the truth. Jesus gave it to us, right? Us Christians, us Catholics especially, we have the fullness of the truth, right? So, and Jesus told us to go and proclaim it, right? Baptize the nations, make them my disciples, etc. Et so if there's, something, if there's some ill in society, something wrong in society, it's always the church's fault for not doing our job. Okay? All right. Okay, so number one, there is no such thing as toxic masculinity. Have you heard that term? Toxic masculinity. Okay, so 
Why not? Because masculinity is a gift of God. And yes, there are aspects of these gifts that God gave to men that could get twisted up or used improperly. But I don't think that's what people mean when they say toxic masculinity. Um, I think they're kind of condemning the whole thing, right? I'm not hearing that, oh, it's actually something good, but it's being twisted up. I prefer to say, you might see men behaving badly as men, <laughs> right? Because it is what it is. We're always going to be doing what we do, either as a man or a woman. And that's why every man in this room is a spiritual father, whether or not he has physical children, because that's who he is as a man. When anything matures and reaches adulthood and ripens, what does it do? It bears fruit, gives back, gives life, right? And so men do that as fathers, women do it as mothers, and we do that spiritually as well. So whenever we help someone, we're doing it as a man, as a woman, as a spiritual mother, as a spiritual father. And John Paul II said, if you are a physical mother or father also, what are you called to be to your children? You have to now also be their spiritual mother and spiritual father to get them to heaven, right? Get them into a relationship with Jesus. Okay. Now, masculinity and femininity are wonderfully perfect terms, okay? So I was told by a young woman, you can't say femininity. I said, why not? She said, that means availability for sex. <laughs> and I said, what? Where did you get that? I said, I don't care what you know, terms people like to make up or definitions people like to make up. I stick with the true definition of things, the simplest core of what something is. So is this what femininity looks like? <laughs> we have Jessica Rabbit there for you in audio land. Um, is this what masculinity looks like? We have the Hulk. Or are, is this the ideal feminine? Is this what all women should aspire to look like and all men should aspire to look like? No. So these are caricatures of femininity and masculinity. Now, I purposely used cartoons and not real people, so we're not making fun of real people because maybe some women actually do look like that or some men look like that or, or desire to look like that, right? But so what is, what is it then? What is real masculinity? It's whatever flows naturally from the body and soul of a man, right? Whatever, whatever that really is, and it's going to look different on different men and different women, amen? Right. So there's no, like, one way to be a woman or be a man. So we're not talking about stereotypes. We're not talking about glass ceilings, you know, for women. You can't do this. You can't do this. You have to be in a box. You have to, there's one way to do this. I'm just seeing what I need to skip here. Okay, so like I said, there are incredible differences between men and women, scientific differences between men and women. Okay. But I think I'm going to, I'm just going to skip all that. It's really fun. It's a really fun part of theology of the body because a lot of it's funny too, right? I mean, look at all the sitcoms. Everybody loves Raymond. What was that about? Male and female differences, right? Okay, in a marriage. No, we're going to launch right into the masculine genius here. 
So men, part of the masculine genius, a big part of it is that men initiate the gift of love and life. So I have young people ask me all the time, why do men have to propose? Why do men have to ask the women, woman out on the date? I'm like, you tell me. It starts with the body. We can get so many clues from the language of the body. Men's bodies initiate love and life, right? So men are the doers. They're the giver of the gift. The women receive the gift, but they also give it back. So it's not active and passive. The men give in a receiving way. The women receive in a giving way. And that's why it's, it's love. It's a cycle of love. And this crazy idea that women are more religious than men, that is nuts, okay? In one of the creation stories, Adam was there by himself, all alone with God for quite a while, right? He had his own special, unique relationship with God. Now, of course, at the fall, both men and women, that relationship was ruptured. It didn't go away, but it was ruptured. It changed. So we have this quote from Fulton Sheen. Ever since the days of Adam, man has been hiding from God and saying, God is hard to find. (laughs) Right? Adam hid, remember? He hid. Okay. We also seem to be... We have become incapable of telling the truth because he was wearing clothes at that point. And he said, I, I hid because I was naked. It's like, no, you're not naked anymore. You're wearing clothes and you still hid. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. All right. So, yeah. Eve too. Eve. Big problems. Okay. <laughs> so this is what I say when I, when I get to talk to seminarians, which is one of my favorite things on the planet. Um, I kind of drill into them because they need to understand that they are real fathers. Wow. Priests are real fathers, right? So I always say to them, if a man engenders love and life, what does a priest do? He engenders the gift of divine love and divine life. And it doesn't get any better than that. So our priests, and even single men, celibate men, need to know that they are real spiritual fathers, and the good that they do is a real kind of spiritual good that affects the whole mystical body. Okay, so (laughs) here is the masculine genius. The masculine genius is, first of all, how God created men. Just like the feminine genius is how God created women. So for those in audio land, I have a chart of a man's uh, monthly hormonal cycle (laughs) as opposed to a woman's hormonal cycle. The woman's hormonal cycle, she has four um, hormone strands and it looks like spaghetti up and down all over the place. Um, Does that affect our moods, ladies? Does that affect emotions? Oh, yes, yes. But look at the guys, two hormone strands like flatlining, right? Just steady, steady, stream, straight, right? And this is why guys can be our rock, right? Ladies, do we love that about men? That they are just dependable, strong, steady? Yes, can count on them. It's because it's easy for them, okay? (laughs) Okay. So this is the divine order, You know, I never even heard the term divine order 
until I was, one of my mentors was a Byzantine priest in theology of the body. And he used to talk about the divine order all the time. And I was like, what are you talking about? I just love the sound of that, but what is it? He was like, well, everything God put into creation. You know, like, like creating men this way, creating women that way. And this means that we have particular gifts that go along with this. So there's a good reason God made women like this and men like that. And we can't get into it in depth tonight. If you go on to YouTube, you can um, hear an hour talk by Father Patrick Schultz on the masculine genius. He did a great talk. Um, I'm not repeating any of what he said here tonight. And he actually wrote a book called, uh, his thesis was Viri Dignitatem, because John Paul II wrote on the vocation, dignity and vocation of women, Mulieris Dignitatem in Latin. So Father Patrick Schultz did Viri Dignitatem, um, and it's becoming published as a book. Not yet, though. So there's this idea that men are simple. How many people have heard that? Oh, men are simple. They're easy to understand. It's like, I don't think so. <laughs> oh, I saw this uh, calendar, and it said, uh, you know, cheesecake is the women pinup calendars. I don't mean porn. I mean, like, Betty Grable, you know, a little bathing suit. And then they have the bodybuilder guys called beefcake calendars that said, men are like bubble wrap, simple but fun. <laughs> it's like, you know, you pop bubble wrap, um, hours of enjoyment. Um, and I was like, that's like so insulting. Okay, it's funny, but it's also really insulting, right? My dad was a Renaissance man. He was really complicated and complex. He's deceased now. But I don't think any of us ever understood him. <laughs> you know, he was like so complicated and he, he led this very rich life. He was into everything, golf. He could play the piano beautifully. Like He had a whole repertoire from memory. He was a mountain climber. He was a businessman, very religious, very secular. <laughs> like, so I don't know. I just think there's, there's so many stereotypes about men too, right? But we don't hear about them because men don't whine <laughs> like us ladies do. Men aren't always complaining and whining about their lot in life. And... <laughs> I know some wives go, <coughs> you know, <laughs> but I don't know, I don't know. In general, men don't complain. That's what they do. They don't complain. So, so sometimes other people have to articulate it and, and for them. Okay. Now, because God revealed himself as father and son, and Jesus in his humanity was male, men have these models to imitate. Whoa. <laughs> Big bill to fill there, right? Now, we're all supposed to imitate Christ, but in a more particular way, men are called to imitate Jesus in his humanity as male. So when I look at a crucifix, I see my human nature there. There's only one human nature that we both share as men and women, but that's not my body up there. That's a male body, right? So a man looks at a crucifix, he's like, that's my body up there. So that tells a man a lot about what it means for him to love like Jesus, to lay down his life for his bride, right? Like a priest in the person of Christ lays down his life for his bride, the church. Well, men are called to do that in their families and in society that they serve. Okay, wow, that's daunting, right? To have those models. But men like a challenge, right, guys? <laughs> they do. They might tell you they don't, they do. And you know what your biggest challenge is? Yes, to be like Jesus, but... Us. 
when, real women are your biggest challenge. We're a handful, right? <laughs> and yet, we're, we're the most worth it challenge you'll ever have. So th think of it in those terms. Okay. Um, so is, does that mean God is male? No, God is not male. Except Jesus in his humanity. Not in his divinity, though. Divinity is beyond human gender. So, the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Um, no one is father as God is father. Okay? So, when we hear father in the Bible, it means the source of life. The source of existence. The source of everything. So men have this awesome gift to create life with God's help. They don't do it by themselves, obviously, but to create new life. And women get to receive and foster and keep that life. This is our ultimate glory, our ultimate genius. For women, it's motherhood, physical and or spiritual. For men, it's fatherhood, physical and or spiritual. Now, there's this crazy idea that You'll hear theologians sometimes say, I think they're trying to like make women feel good about themselves. But Sister Sarah Butler, who is one of my heroes, she is an international theologian at the highest level who was a radical feminist like I was and then did a 180. She helped the Anglican Church get women's ordination. And uh, she did all the theological groundwork for that. And then she started reading John Paul II. And going back to the early church councils, and she started to understand why priesthood is a male thing. Priesthood is maleness because the, the heart and soul of priesthood is sacrifice. Not just offering the sacrifice of Jesus, but becoming that sacrifice. So a priest enters into Jesus. The priesthood, the sacrament of the priesthood is entering into the life of Jesus as an icon himself of Jesus, becoming a victim for the feminine. Okay, so that's what priesthood is. Priesthood is the masculine becoming a victim for the feminine. And every man is called to be a priest in his own family, in society, etc. It's not about dominance and male power and all that stuff. It's, it's, that's not what it's really about. And again, there's so much more we can say there that we're not going to. So oftentimes, women, little girls even, think about being mothers before little boys ever think about being fathers, or even teenage boys think about being fathers. But that's not really so great, right? We need to get our young men thinking, I could be a father someday, right? And we say, well, there's something that happens in women's bodies that remind them every month that they could be mothers, well, there's things that happen in men's bodies, too, that remind them that they could be fathers, right? But we've learned, to, because of the sexual revolution, we've learned to disconnect sex and gender from anything to do with creating life, right? Our bodies are playthings, right? It's like, no, 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 no. So this is why I tell young people, did you know that your body is sacred? Like, is the media telling you that your body is sacred? They're like, no. <laughs> like, well, I'm telling you. All right? 
And I just have to say that men actually understand that better than women, that our bodies are sacred, that women's bodies are sacred. So, because I talk to teens a lot, so the girls are like, my body's sacred? Really? (laughs) And the guys are like, yeah, like they get it. <laughs> and this is because men have insight into things, how things work, including human beings. So ladies, don't, don't think that men don't understand us when they, when they say, oh, I don't understand women. They understand us more than they think, but they understand us as things. The challenge is to understand us as persons. Women, instead, have intuition into persons. Women are psycho-effective experts. We are experts at humanity. Like that, do you know the book by um, Josephine Lombardi? She's a um, professor here in Toronto. It's called Experts in Humanity. Okay. So, if guy, any guys here into superheroes? <laughs> Thank you for admitting that. Um, oh, and some women, too. Okay. Well... Guys, you have superpowers. So I know a mom, a theology of the body mom, she teaches her little son, he runs around the house in his cape, Superman cape or whatever, and she says, you have superpowers, and I'm going to tell you about them someday. To be able to create life is a superpower, right? You don't treat superpowers lightly. With great power comes great... I love that everyone knows that. Okay. So there was a movie called Courageous. Has anyone seen it? It's about um, it's a fan, it's a Christian film, but like a good Christian film. <laughs> Usually, when you say Christian film, it's like grown. You know, it's going to be like really poor quality, poor production values. Anything by the Kendrick brothers is good. Okay, so they did Fireproof, Courageous. They always get better and better. And they, the last one is War Room, and um, it's about these four different dads. They're all cops, and struggling with being good fathers. So when they, when they did a screening of this, they had people fill out forms about how they, what they liked about the film, what they didn't like. And these teenage boys were saying, you know, I never thought about being a father ever. And now I want to be a good father someday. It was like, yes, <laughs> it worked. Okay. All right. So I know another mom, she converted to Catholicism. She had a 14-year-old son. And you know, he converted with the family, and uh, they were becoming very pro-life. And so one day, she had it all planned out. She said to her son, do you want to be responsible for an abortion? He said, no. She said, well, if you fool around before you're married, she can just have an abortion and not even tell you she's pregnant. Okay, mom, I won't fool around. <laughs> okay. So, now, there is another man, in case uh, imitating God the Father and God the Son is a little bit much uh, every day. There is another man, big part of Jesus and Mary's life, who was just human, only human, who was St. Joseph. Yes, we love him so much, right? Indispensable to salvation history. It wasn't like God said, oh, okay, I got the mom, I got the baby. <gasps> Who's going to take care of him? Oh, no, I got I gotta, you, you over there. Like. Joseph was a part of the plan of salvation from the beginning. So he's the greatest saint in heaven after Mary. And you know how the saints all have a special, um, like, martyr, confessor, doctor of the church? You know, what does Joseph have after his name? 
that's his glory. Husband of Mary, right? So that's his glory. Um, and, and you might say, like, well, how did they have a real marriage? Because it was never consummated, right? But their marriage was a real marriage, Joseph, Joseph and Mary. Do you know why? Because it, the marriage ceremony is a two-step. The first one is consent. The verbal consent, you make your vows, and then the second part is consummating the marriage. So it was a real marriage by virtue of consent.